You're listening to KJOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly show featuring reporting and interviews on local news, music, and culture. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. As a reminder, Jackson Unpacked is now available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Please subscribe today and help support Jackson's only nonprofit newsroom. Leaving a rating and telling your friends about the show also helps us continue this work. Coming up on today's show, we hear from two of the organizers of Jackson's first month-long celebration of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer pride this June. Every time I meet someone who is queer in this community, the reaction that I get is, I thought I was the only one. Plus, KHOL Spanish language correspondent Alicia Unger reports on how health officials are trying to overcome COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy among some members of the local Latino community. There is so many myths, there is so many situations that people is afraid. But first, Rendezvous Park between Jackson and Wilson is the backdrop of the latest public art project in Teton County a larger-than-life troll statue that dwarfs onlookers and encourages people to climb and play on it. KHOL's Will Walkie took a stroll over to the troll and talked to the world-renowned artist who created it about his mission to promote environmental sustainability by using mostly recycled materials for his work. Our park has long been a favorite spot in Jackson Hole to meet friends or family for a paddleboard, walk, or hangout on the beach. But now, a new set of watchful eyes and a kind smile has taken over one local pond. Unbelievable. I, I am just stunned. She is magnificent. She's wonderful. Incredible craftsmanship. And I love the whimsical thing with her necklace and the hair is really cool. The new troll, described by recent visitors Irene Melian and Mike Fisher, actually has a name, Mama Mimi. And it's like a mama troll that's uh, come down from somewhere up in the forest, up in the mountains, and then it's come down and sitting here at the, at the lake. And I think this, she's pregnant because uh, maybe I would like to come back when she makes uh, her babies. <laughs> so, uh, and then, uh, Thomas Dambo is the Danish artist who created Mama Mimi using recycled wood found around Jackson Hole. Mimi's hair is made of hundreds of screwed-on roots that Dambo and his team gathered while scouring the Snake River. And she's also rocking some pretty sweet bling. And then we've also found rocks in the, in the river that we've um, like found some big rocks like oranges and coconuts in, in those sizes. And then we've like tied them up in metal wire and made a big necklace of those things. So, so I think that's, that's some of the local things that I... Mama Mimi is the latest project from Jackson Hole Public Art. It's also the 80th troll Dambo's created. He's been all over the world crafting similar sculptures, which each tell a unique story. And even though many of Dambo's otherworldly pieces are tucked away in quiet corners of their natural environment, publications like National Geographic and NPR have all taken notice of his work. Here's Dambo in a Vice video from 2018. What's up, Milton? What's up? Hi, Charles. Nice to meet you. Welcome to my workshop. I have a 1,000 square meters filled with the trash, okay. different types of wood and metal. And Dambo considers himself a pioneer in the field of recycled art. The Dane has been walking the streets of his hometown of Copenhagen, looking for things others throw away that he could use in his sculptures for more than 10 years. 
He attributes some of his recent success to just being ahead of the fads in the art community. Recycling is trending so much right now so that they have fake recycled wood on the cabinets in the condo where we're staying here, you know. And now, Dambo says Jackson Hole is the perfect place for a new troll. And I think like a, a big sculpture pre- performs good in, a, in an environment like this because all the tourists are looking for something to do. So maybe my sculpture here will be on that list as like one of the things you do. You go to the Million Dollar Cowboy, get drunk, and you take the lift to the top <laughs> of the mountain and take a photo of the view, and then you go and find the troll. Yeah, Locals and visitors alike are indeed finding the troll in droves. They're also doing exactly what Dambo intended with his design, interacting with it. Folks are kayaking up to Mimi and admiring her gigantic fingernails the size of your own hand. They're also climbing up onto her leg and walking across to a small island in the middle of our park, a coveted vantage point with a unique view. Of course, you can also see it from the side or you can go to the other side of the pond. Or, but to be able to see it all up close, you have to either get your feet wet and walk in the water or walk across the lake bridge. Dambo says Jackson is also a great place for his art because people here are deeply interconnected with nature. He says he hopes people will see his troll as a protector of parks as they truly ought to be. Places of peace, free of human trash, and signs of major development. Onlookers like Melian and Fisher, whom we met at the top, say they understood that message immediately. Like, what do you think it means in terms of what he's trying to reflect and do with the piece? Mother Earth, of course. <laughs> there's things bigger than you are, and yeah. there's still magic in the world. Dambo says he hopes visitors will treat Mimi with respect and that garbage from onlookers won't pile up next to her. He also hopes that the fact that she's made of recycled materials will push people toward thinking differently about the things they buy and throw away. The problem we have in the world is that we produce things to last forever. There's a lifetime warranty on your glasses, but you're going to buy new glasses after six weeks. So why do you need things that can last forever if the fashion and the trend changes so you need new things so fast? That's what's creating these mountains of trash for the future. Acknowledging that inevitable cycle, Dambo says he's excited that his trolls will eventually become trash themselves, or better still, reused for something else. I'm probably going to make 500 trolls before I'm gone, you know, so that's a lot of, uh, of trash to leave around for the future. So I'm just happy that if people can enjoy it right there, and then you can take that wood and put it back in the dump when it starts to get uninteresting. Dambo tracks his projects from all over the world at trollmap.com. Mama Mimi will be on display for at least three to five years, and onlookers say it's unlikely to become uninteresting anytime soon. Will Walkie, KHOL News. In years past, Jackson has observed National Pride Month with the annual Teton Pride Picnic. That's expected to be held again this year, but joining it for the first time is a whole month of events celebrating and organized by the local LGBTQ community. KHOL's Kyle Mackey spoke with two of the organizers of the new effort called Jackson Hole Pride, Andrew Munns and Karen Chin. We should also note that Chin is a board member of KHOL. Andrew and Karen, thank you so much for joining us today on KHOL. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell us about what this month is going to look like? Yes, it is a 
bit of a mosaic in a way because what's been really great about this year, and I think in a way it almost took like a pandemic to kind of take so much away from us in the idea of gathering and uh, and being able to celebrate our own identity that I think our own individual frustrations <laughs> and like and yearnings to kind of do something and do more um, made us all kind of pop out of the ground like mushrooms. And now it's been kind of like a gathering of trying to like bring all the mushrooms together. <laughs> Karen, anything you want to add there? Yeah, I would agree with everything that Andy just said. It's just out of this feeling of every time I meet someone who is queer in this community, the reaction that I get is, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only person here. I thought there was no queer community here. Um, and so I felt very motivated as someone that has done community organizing uh, in Jackson for a long time that um, I wanted to make sure that people did know that there were others of us here and that we could create the community that we needed. Can we talk about, um, you know, the importance for visibility of the queer community, especially in rural places like Wyoming or, you know, Teton Valley and the other side of the past? Wyoming is a state where the killing of Matthew Shepard at the University of Wyoming still looms large, I think. And I just wonder, you know, what the significance of this much larger celebration this year is for you. In Wyoming, we have a kind of drought when it comes to um, positive queer stories that are represented on a commercial or larger scale. When people think about Wyoming and you add, you know, a, a queer tag to it, you know, we have the Matthew Shepard murder, of course. We have Brokeback Mountain, you know, which is a fictional story, but it also ends in death. And uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> and, um, and you know, these are, these are, are really uh, just a very, very minuscule representation of who Wyomingites are, uh, you know, in general. I mean, there are queer people across the state and and a lot of them are isolated in these kind of small pockets where people withdraw from the public eye or they they remain in the closet for a very long time out of fear. And, um, and I can speak to that because I'm one of them, you know, as someone who grew up in Wyoming. I mean, Matthew Shepard was murdered when I was 11 and that was the exact time that I was starting to figure out who I was and learning that some of these words that people were hurling my way might actually have some truth. Not only that, you could get murdered for them. Um, and that was a very difficult thing for me to experience as a young <laughs> young boy in in even though you know Jackson is seen as this blue dot in a red state, it's still Wyoming. You know, there's still this this sense of um, hyper masculinity that is uh, that pervades you know not just rodeo outside of Wyoming or outside of Jackson, but like ski culture, the, the action sports you know scene, and so Wyoming itself you know has a lot of work to do, and it feels extremely hopeful and it feels extremely. Uh, you know, optimistic uh, just for the future that we have um, this collective now that's that's starting to come forward, that's starting to to come together. It's a really, really great uh, improvement over what has happened in the past. Yeah, I mean the the thing about joy for me is, and queer joy in particular, is that um, when I came out and I came out only just a couple of years ago, I realized that. Um, if I was going to continue to be able to thrive in this community, that I needed to be able to see queer joy. And Matthew Shepard is just this very heavy legacy 
that um, Wyoming has. Um, and so I I wanted to shift that focus and make it about just joyfulness and happiness and and just purely about community. Well, bringing it back to joy, will you tell us about some of the events coming up this month? Um, what are some of the ways that you're going to be celebrating? Oh, definitely. So Friday, June 18th is the first queer kickball game. So we formed a team of queer identifying folks who are going to be playing in the Parks and Rec Kickball League. There's a pride event that will be happening at the Rose. There will be a pride event that's happening over in Victor at High Point Cider. We have a website for pride events um, that is www.jhpride.com. There is also um, an opportunity to help support uh, Pride events. We have a GoFundMe that we launched, and um, that will be kind of our our shared pool uh, of resources. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your passion and um, your organization around LGBTQ you know, visibility and equality here in, in Jackson and Wyoming. And um, happy Pride. Have a great month. Thank you. Thank you. joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked on KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly show featuring reporting and interviews on local and regional news, music, and culture. Jackson Unpacked airs Wednesdays at 7.30 a.m. and Fridays and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. You can also now listen and subscribe to the show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app. Coming up next, KHOL music director Jack Catlin interviews local band leader Cree Miller-Yeager about the deep musical connection she shared with her late sister Candace and the therapeutic effects of putting thoughts to paper. For her high-energy singing performances and commanding stage presence, music is undoubtedly Cree Miller-Yeager's passion. As a musician in Jackson Hole for over 15 years, Cree has performed and recorded with The Miller Sisters, Mandatory Air, and Bootleg Flyer. In advance of her solo performance as part of the Folk Cafe event, Cree Miller-Yeager joins us now in the K-12 studio. So first off, you grew up in a large family with seven siblings. What was that like and how did music tie into your childhood? My family is actually very small compared to my dad's family. My dad was the second oldest of 22 children. They were all single births and all played music. And we grew up kind of just singing at my grandma's house and playing piano and fiddle. My grandma was a fiddle player and everyone sang in tune and in harmony. So we kind of grabbed that probably in the womb. So when did you know you wanted to pursue a career in music? I never really knew that I wanted to. It was always Candace. She had started writing songs when she was seven years old. I remember the first song she wrote, and I was like, what is that? It was sitting on the front porch, thinking about steak, wondering what I was going to make for supper tonight, for supper tonight. 
And I was like, that's so cool. And then Candice was like, from that young age, always wanted to move to Nashville and be a country music singer and developed her skills and talents through playing with my dad and having the patience to do so where I was like, I wanted to do gymnastics and be in the yard and stuff like that. And Candice was willing to sit down and learn the chords and go over the songs with my dad. He played fiddle and banjo and guitar and Candice started playing guitar and she was playing piano and violin as well. And I just kind of watched her and it was awesome. And when she wanted me to sing with her, I would sing harmony. So I wasn't really developing any kind of musical instruments until I was here when I came to Jackson. So you just mentioned her, your late great sister, Candice, who you performed with in both Mandatory Air and the Miller Sisters, was a huge part of your musical development. How do you carry on her legacy? It's very easy to because she did what all musicians ought to, and that is record the songs that she wrote. She developed them with the different various bands that we played with and always wanted to be putting them down and journaling. You know, I think that that's how a musician kind of journals their life experiences is through their music. And it's something that you just have to take time and pay the money to do because when they're gone, you can't ever get them back, obviously, but to hear them is still to this day riveting what I feel when I hear her voice. So we touched on it before we went live here on the mics and I wanted to get your thoughts on the relationship between mental health and music and musicians and how that all intertwines. One of the biggest things I think is just being able to talk about it, which is very difficult because there's always been this crazy stereotype or stigma about people that have mental illness. You know, taking care of yourself is huge. Exercise and diet are hugely appropriate for your mental well-being. It's all something that can be worked out through talking and being revealing of what it is that you may be holding on to and just having someone that you trust and being able to express that to them. And um, that's just dealing with the loss of Candace, of course, but then just life's cycle of grief when you have lost someone or taken on something that's far exceeding what you ever thought you could handle getting through. I actually have students at the Presbyterian Church. They have a music academy there, and it's an amazing program. And when my students come in, I encourage them, you know, just journal. And then bring it back tomorrow. We'll put some chords to it, and this could be a song. And my students are doing that, and it's so beautiful to see them develop their own songs. Definitely journaling is huge to get the thoughts out and get them on paper. And then they can kind of, you know, leave the mind instead of the continuous recycle. I feel it's very therapeutic for sure. So with so much experience in and around the area, what are your thoughts on Jackson's local music scene right now? Oh, geez, there's so many talented musicians here. I just know that the younger musicians have a new and different kind of sound. And it's so awesome to hear what they're singing about. I mean, people need music. They need entertainment. They need interaction. And I think that it's exciting to think about going back to getting to see a show or stumbling upon a restaurant or bar and there's a musician playing because it just does something for your soul. I think that every song tells a story. Any song that's been written, it's about a place and a time, but it changes as you go through experiences of life and it brings up these emotions and that's what music is supposed to do. You can hear Cree's music right here on KHOL during our local music hour weekdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Make sure to visit 891KHOL.org for more music, news, and culture. I'm Jack Catlin, and this is KHOL Jackson.
Multiple polls have found that resistance to COVID-19 vaccines remains highest in white, rural, and conservative communities across the country. However, anyone can fall prey to a conspiracy theory. And as KHOL's Spanish-language correspondent Alicia Unger reports, some members of Jackson's Latino community also have immigration-related concerns about getting the shot. Up next, we'll hear reporter Will Walkie interview Unger about her work, followed by the full story in Spanish. So this story is largely about the COVID-19 vaccine and challenges that they're facing with distributing it to the Latino community. Will you tell me a little about this story? Correct. This is uh, the story that um, will show us people overcoming their fears, their fears to the vaccine. There is so many myths. There is so many situations that people is afraid. However, there are people now that um, are finding out the benefits of having the vaccine, especially because they don't want to hurt their beloved ones. Can you tell me a little bit about what people are afraid of right now, what some of people's biggest fears are with the vaccine? Well, the Latino community tend to be afraid about immigration status. That's uh, one of the main things that holds them back because they don't have perhaps identification. Uh, they think that, that if they give their names and the addresses, the government is going to use that information to track them and to make raids and get deported. So that is their main concern. And also there is uh, conspiracy theories, you know, that they hear. And unfortunately, many people um, believe it. So the health department has a great task informing the community to let them know that the vaccine is safe. And to be clear re regarding what you first said about immigration status, if someone is from the Latino community and is scared about their documentation, immigration status, is that something that they should be worried about? According to the health department, it's a completely false information. People are welcome to their uh, facilities to take their vaccine. They're only going to ask their name. Yes, because they want to know how many people is getting vaccinated. They want to have some type of record to see if they get uh, meeting their goal. But they're not going to share this information with no other government entity. You talked about conspiracy theories, especially with one of your interview subjects. Can you tell me a little bit about what conspiracy theories people are believing and also a little of where they're getting the conspiracy theories from? Well, most of the conspiracy theories, they're getting it from the Internet, social media. Um, some people believe that they're going to get a microchip implant while they get the vaccine and the government now is going to keep track of them or that they're going to be manipulated somehow. They also believe that they're going to change their DNA. However, I asked that to the health department and they say, absolutely not. The person that I interviewed, Rogelio, he's like, at the beginning, yes, I was skeptical. I was afraid. I start doing research, and then I find out I'm not going to have a third eye. So I'm not going to have a five arms coming out of me. So he took the risk. He feels good. And 
the most important thing he expressed is that he feels safe to go out to work, to bring food to his family, knowing that he is not going to transmit the illness to his family. We'll now take the listener to your story in Spanish, and thanks again for reporting this. Thank you. KHOL, Noticias en Español, lo saluda Alicia Anger. En un lapso de tiempo sin precedentes en la historia, se aprobó la vacuna del COVID-19, el coronavirus que durante 10 meses se esparció por el mundo amenazando la salud y el bienestar de la comunidad internacional. Pero la rapidez con la que se condujo la producción de las inmunizaciones causó la preocupación en millones de personas, incluyendo a algunos residentes del condado Titon como Rogelio. Yo en lo particular, no te oculto, sentía cierta aprensión por la vacuna porque decía, bueno, no, no será que la desarrollaron más rápido. Consternación similar entre otras personas que se hizo viral por las diferentes plataformas sociales, dando cabida a múltiples teorías de la conspiración, teorías desechadas por completo por el Departamento de Salud del Condado Teton. No, no hay ningún microchip en la vacuna y la vacuna no altera el ADN, asegura Wheeler. La inoculación no altera la información genética explica Wheeler, datos oficiales con los que Rogelio asegura estar de acuerdo. No hay que creer muchas cosas. Ahora en esta época de redes sociales, todo el mundo opina porque es gratis. Rogelio, a quien llamaremos solo por su primer nombre, por no contar con un estatus migratorio legal en el país, confiesa haber tenido muchos miedos a la hora de decidir si ponerse o no la vacuna, pero su necesidad fue mayor que cualquier temor. Durante toda la emergencia tuve muchísimos problemas para obtener los beneficios del desempleo y me vi en la necesidad de salir a trabajar. Armándose de valor dejó que el amor fuera su mayor motivación. Por mi familia, mi esposa es inmunodeficiente, tiene un problema de sus defensas, mis hijos que están pequeños y lo último que yo hubiera querido es enfermarlos a ellos. Eso es algo que yo no hubiera podido perdonarme. Cifras que tanto a nivel nacional, estatal y local, los funcionarios de salud intentan incrementar, eliminando la desinformación. Otro factor negativo se agrega a la trama. Se trata de la falsificación de las tarjetas de vacunación. Hemos escuchado eso y entendemos que sí puede pasar. Eso no ayuda a nadie. Para combatir factores como el miedo, desinformación y falsificaciones, Rachel Wheeler y Shelley Rubrick explican que el Departamento de Salud del Condado Tito se encuentra trabajando directamente con organizaciones para compartir información sobre el COVID-19 entre la comunidad latina. Si cualquier cosa su empleado no se siente bien, si le pueden dar un día de descanso pagado. Beneficios que asegura Rogelio, su esposa no contó al presentar reacción a la inmunización contra el nuevo coronavirus. Ella sí tuvo un malestar terrible, le duró más o menos unas 24 horas. Yo eso no lo experimenté. Sí me puse un poquito nervioso antes de la la primera dosis, algo que creo que fue psicosomático, ¿no? Como que yo esperaba sentirme mal. Cuando me di cuenta, no, no, la verdad que no me pasa nada y pues ando ya más tranquilo de que sé que, que incluso si me llego a contagiar, pues va a ser el riesgo de que, que me vaya a morir de eso, pues es casi inexistente. Otro golpe bajo para el nuevo coronavirus es la aprobación de la vacuna para adolescentes a partir de los 12 años, grupo que de acuerdo a las entidades de salud locales ha mostrado hasta en un 70% el haber obtenido 
disminuido la inmunización contra el COVID-19. Sin embargo, aun cuando la recomendación del uso del cubreboca ya se ha relajado en el estado de Wyoming, los planteles escolares y transporte público se mantienen en el uso obligatorio de la mascarilla. Los empleadores y dueños de negocios aún pueden solicitar también el portar el cubreboca en el interior de sus locales. Porque también no puedes preguntar a una persona cuál es tu, eh, si estás vacunado o no. Con estas estrategias, el Departamento de Salud del Condado Teton espera que sean cada vez más las personas que, como Rogelio, opten por la inmunización que los proteja del COVID-19 a ellos y a sus seres queridos. Yo empecé a, a, a informar un poco más y también a darme cuenta que los beneficios pesaban más que, que los posibles detrimentos. Eh, entonces, que no era como que me iba yo a mutar, ¿verdad? Y me iba a salir un tercer ojo. Los expertos estiman que al menos el 70% de la población del país tendría que estar vacunada para conseguir inmunidad colectiva. Alicia Anger, KHOL, Noticias en Español. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. Tune in for Jackson Unpacked every week, Wednesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. and Fridays and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. And remember to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson. <laughs>